Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is there really such a thing as having nothing to play for? When it comes to the college football landscape, big college football media would like to tell you differently. We have our own opinions and a little hint to our opinions. Uh, they align 1000% with what Drake Stoop said from Oklahoma. Welcome into the hard count. This is the People's College Football Show. It is Thursday, November 9th, 2023. The last one on the face of the planet. Going to make it the best one in history. We're glad to have you here. We got a lot to talk about. It is our final thoughts, final predictions Thursday, which means we'll have our final thoughts for all things on week 11 at the end of this show. Got some thoughts on Jalen Milrow, some thoughts on Bo Nix, some thoughts on what Georgia has to do defensively against Ole Miss. So make sure you stick around for that. Every single Thursday, though, we got to start this thing off with our thoughts when it comes to the upset forecast for week 11. So not necessarily a prediction or a projection, but just, hey, a couple of lines, a couple of spreads that we think might just be a touch too big and maybe just maybe you should keep an eye on as we get into our Saturday slate. Also, a little caffeine special on the docket for us here. USC going to Eugene. And USC, a lot of people are saying, well, they're not, they're not playing for the college football playoff anymore. Caleb Williams isn't playing for the Heisman anymore. They just lost to Washington. Like, everyone's pretty much sold all their USC stock. Alex Grinch is no longer the D.C. there. Uh, don't look now, but USC is still in the Pac-12 title hunt. Now, is it the most likely of scenarios they end up playing for that thing on that Friday night in December? Probably not. But I tell you what, if you beat Oregon and have that tiebreaker, things get weird in November when it comes to college football. So keep an eye on that game. We'll give you our pick in that one as well. Got to give you the pulse of the program for our friends in Ann Arbor. There's been a lot going on there, and there's a lot going on when it comes to what's going on off the field at Michigan. A lot of talk about Connor Stallions and sign stealing and what's going on now with Ohio State and Rutgers and Purdue, and, and that's all stuff that we're going to keep track of, obviously, as stuff comes out about those different investigations. I mean, it feels like it just is a, a TV show that continues on and on, and we get a new episode, it feels like, every other day when it comes to the Twitter sphere and keeping up with the social media there. Uh, but I want to give you our thoughts on what's going on on the football field in Ann Arbor. What's going to happen potentially this upcoming weekend against Penn State? We gave you our pick in that one already, but I want to talk about the pulse of the program for Michigan. Also, like I alluded to at the top of this show, Drake Stoops just was I mean, dropping bars when it came to his thoughts on a question about Oklahoma having nothing to play for. So we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Make sure you're subscribed. It's college football, only college football, every single day of the year right here on this show, The Hard Count on the On3 YouTube channel, live three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. If you're finding us for the first time, we're glad to have you here. We don't do hot takes. We don't do high fructose corn syrup. We don't do anything that doesn't have to do with college football on this show. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, uh, we're glad to have you a part of this. Again, make sure you're subscribed to be a part of this. One more note here. Really important to be following me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Piquel. We put our best bets on that platform on Instagram. We do question and answer on Friday afternoons on my Instagram. We have a lot of open forums that I put on my Twitter page and just get your opinions on to make segments for the show. So bottom line, if you want to be involved in the show to the nth degree, make sure you're following me there because that's the best way to do it. And we appreciate y'all doing that in advance. All right. 
Tradition is tradition, so we're going to stick with it every single Thursday. We start the show with, like this, uh, our Week 11 upset forecast for this upcoming Saturday slate. I say it every single week. we got to make sure we say it again. These are not predictions. These are not projections. This is more so like if you were to look at your weather app on your iPhone and try to get a gauge for the weather for the upcoming weekend, we're trying to get a gauge for the potential upsets for this upcoming weekend. So the one that jumps out to me right off the bat, Georgia Tech is a 14-point dog going to Clemson, and this is the perfect amount of look-ahead spot mixed with letdown spot for Clemson. Looking ahead in North Carolina, letting down from Notre Dame, and then you got Georgia Tech rolling in there, man. They are freaking gritty. They beat Miami. I don't care. Miami didn't take a knee. You still had to find a way to go the length of the field, more or less, if you're Miami, to get a touchdown to win that game. Then they beat North Carolina, who's scoring all kinds of points offensively, like with Haynes King playing quarterback. You get some good, you get some bad, but when he's on, he is on. And so if Haynes King is on, and Clemson is still kind of sleepwalking from their big win over Notre Dame, you wonder, you just wonder, which way this thing could swing. So keep an eye on that one. Colorado. Coach Prime and Company, man. It's kind of been a tale of two seasons for them, really since they started out 3-0, and and then you had that letdown game against Stanford where they came all the way back on you on a weekday, and then when it comes to this game against Arizona, Colorado is a 10.5-point dog at home. Arizona is a top 25 football team. This is Colorado's last home game. Colorado has three games left, and I don't think you want to lose another one and then have to go 2-0 after losing four in a row, if that ends up being the case, if you drop this game against Arizona. So at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is you're going to get Coach Prime's best efforts. You're going to get this team's best effort, I would imagine. Arizona, to be real, they're not great versus the pass defensively. Colorado, we all understand, even with Sean Lewis not calling the plays there right now at Colorado, uh, that's still the way that they get down offensively with Shador Sanders running the show. Pretty much out of necessity because of what they don't have up front. But when you look at what Arizona does offensively, their go-to guy, their ace of spades offensively is a wide receiver out of Southern California from Servite High School, Tetaroa McMillan. Big body, jump ball specialist. I mean, putting up ridiculous numbers this year, well over 700 yards already. He is the go-to guy for Arizona. Arizona is a pass-first football team by nature of their pass-to-run ratio, how they're calling their plays. Travis Hunter, you wonder if maybe he's the answer to Tetaroa McMillan, and maybe Colorado's able to kind of get some momentum going. Again, last home game, so you got the home crowd behind you, got some juice. Maybe they kind of have their last stand here and get ever so closer to bull eligibility. So that's what I'm watching. If Colorado's going to show up and draw a line in the sand, I think this is the one that you have to do it if you're the buffs. So keep an eye on that one. Now, this one we previewed already during the week, but I want to make sure we touch on it here in this upset segment. Miami goes to Florida State. And Miami's a 13.5 point dog. And Miami could very easily be 7-2. and two. I understand we just talked about the whole thing with Georgia Tech and taking a knee and like that's another conversation for another time. But to be real, they are a better football team than six and three by nature of what they have on that roster, by nature of how well they play in some of these games. Also defensive line play. They're allowing less than 100 yards a game on the ground. And I understand that on paper, Florida State should win this football game. We picked Florida State to win this football game. But when you look at the path here for Miami to winning this game, you get a lot of quarterback variance to this point in the year from Tyler Van Dyke. I would be wildly surprised if he wasn't the guy playing for them this upcoming Saturday. But 
if Tyler Van Dyke is able to kind of shake off the last couple of weeks and sort of the way that he hasn't been on his game, especially last week against NC State where he threw three interceptions, we've seen him play at a really high level early in the year. The Texas A&M game is probably the snapshot that lives in your mind when you think about Tyler Van Dyke dealing the pill at a high level. If he's able to kind of, again, turn it around, shake off this slump that he's been in, and if Florida State isn't healthy and they don't have the same ability to match points, we've seen this Florida State offense now not operate at the same efficiency without Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson in the lineup. Now, at the time of us being live, I believe they feel like they're in a good spot to get one, if not both, those guys back. We'll see what happens on game day. I'm just saying, if Miami finds rhythm, buckle up. Buckle up. We already picked Florida State, but I think with that being a rivalry game, we say it a lot on here, any rivalry game that we find ourselves in, you kind of just got to delete logic from the profile when you're breaking down the game. So we think Florida State wins, but when it comes to the upset potential, I think Miami's got a real good shot to, uh, to make it interesting. There's definitely a path to make it interesting, to say the very least. Now, staying in the vein of things getting interesting, you got Florida going to Baton Rouge. Florida playing LSU, 13.5-point dog on the road. Listen, in this game, we all understand weird things happen. Like, weird things happen when Florida plays LSU. And where Florida struggles offensively, LSU struggles defensively. LSU's given up 30 points a game. Florida's scoring right in the range of 26 points a game. So I think with the way that Graham Mertz has shown he's a more than capable quarterback and Eugene Wilson showing he is a more than dynamic weapon, if they're able to score points and if they put LSU in a position where they have to answer scores, and again, talking about health, we're live right now, so we don't have any gauge for if Jaden Daniels will or won't be available. I hope he plays, but if he doesn't play and this LSU offense takes a second to get going and Florida's scoring, heck, if Florida's running the football how they want to run the football, Something to watch for. Something to watch for. Would not be the first time that Florida and LSU gave us a, a game that didn't make any sense at all. So keep an eye on that one. I think that'll be an interesting one as well. So again, Florida, LSU, Miami at Florida State, Colorado and Arizona, Georgia Tech at Clemson. It's going to be a good slate for, for potential upsets this weekend. If nothing else, I think these games could be interesting. Keep an eye on those. That's your forecast now for week 11 of the college football season. All right. Hey, appreciate everybody that's been dialed in with us from the jump. Everyone that's subscribed, everyone that's liked the video. And a lot of you that have been dialed in from the jump, you saw this past week, Prize Picks was doing a giveaway. And we told y'all, those that entered into that Google form with the Prize Picks email, we'd tell you who won. We got the winners yesterday. We're going to announce them right now. So we have five winners. Each of these winners, a five-pick entry for a flex play to win $1,000 is now in your account. And the winners are as follows, first name and last initial. You got Daniel M, Evan K, David S, Corbin V, and Brian S. So again, Daniel M, Evan K, David S, Corbin V, Brian S. Hey, congratulations, y'all. Let me know if y'all win. Also, just if you're playing with prize picks during the week or the weekend even, Hit me on Instagram. Hit me on Twitter. Let me know your big wins. We want to talk about them on this show. We want to show y'all on this show. We want to show y'all off and what y'all are doing on that platform. So as we do every single Thursday, we got some prize picks for you of our own that we're making plays on this upcoming weekend. If you have not yet signed up for prize picks, would encourage you to do so. Daily fantasy, absolute blast to play, enhances your viewing experience, and just a great way to honestly make some money with the prize picks people 
giving back to us in that sense with the giveaway and then also just having an absolute blast on Saturdays using price picks. So redeem code JD, 100% deposit match up to $100 when you sign up. Crucial you do that. Very, very crucial you do that. Appreciate y'all being dialed in. That's a great way for y'all also to support the show by signing up with our redemption code there. All right. So our play for this upcoming weekend is as follows. Colston Loveland. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show. He's a tight end from Michigan, Penn State. Play a lot of man coverage. Colston Loveland's a big body, six foot five, 245 pounds. You don't want to be man coverage against that now, especially a dude with that catch radius. Prize Picks has his number at 32 and a half receiving yards. We're taking the more. We're laughing all the way to the bank. Michael Penix, his total touchdown number against Utah is at two and a half. So this could be passing, receiving, rushing touchdowns, two and a half. We think the more hits there. We saw what Bo Nix did to that Utah defense. Gives us a little bit of cause for concern for that operation, but we think Michael Penix hits the more there. Now, Dejan Edwards, his number for rush yards is 88 and a half. They play Ole Miss this weekend. I think Ole Miss is going to be really aggressive to blitz. Now, whenever you blitz, what happens? You leave yourself susceptible for some real estate if you swing and miss right underneath you. So expect Dejan Edwards to run for more than 88 and a half yards like the more there to hit and we're gonna go ahead and flex play this so if you want to if you want to power play it be our guest if you get all three correct you 5x your entry but we like to flex play it meaning if we hit two out of three we 1.25x our money and if we get all three 2.25x so if we don't hit on all three which i think we will so take that as you will we still end up making some and the good times roll. So again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match up to hundred bucks. Cannot stress this enough. Let me know y'all's plays. Let me know y'all's big wins. Cause I want to talk about those on the show. The interaction here is with the, what makes this, uh, what makes us a blast. So we appreciate y'all in advance for that. All right, let's keep this good thing rolling. Now everyone dialed in. We're glad to have y'all here. And if you've been dialed in for any heat, for any length of time, you know that we don't really listen to big college football media and i don't say that in, a, in like a derogatory condescending way i just mean there's some outlets out there that believe that it is the playoff and that is all that matters end all be all if your team's not playing for the playoff you might as well pack it in some people say maybe if you were i don't know not going to be in the playoff not going to win the heisman trophy maybe you should just not play at all some people have said that we haven't said that some people have said that and somebody asked drake stoops an Oklahoma wide receiver who's a six-year senior, by the way. You cut him open, he bleeds crimson. They asked him, well, is, is there still games? They said, is there still something to play for this season? And Drake Stoops, I mean, God bless him, man. Getting a question like that, he's like, yeah, of course. And just kind of looked at him a little bit funny like, dude, what are you talking about? And the guy asked him the question too. He wasn't coming after him, but he was sort of insinuating like, Hey, there's this thought now among some people in college football that if you don't make the playoff, you don't have things to play for. Because Oklahoma, very clearly, they were in that college football playoff race. Heck, we thought they were going to be on a crash course to the Big 12 title game after they beat Texas. They still could make the Big 12 title. We'll talk about that here in a second. But Drake Stoops just started dropping bars. He said, listen, that's understandable because fans are passionate Fans are fans. They're going to react, obviously, when, when things don't go our way. But like at the end of the day here, I show up every single day. I put in 10-hour days for six years now. So yeah, I got something to play for. I love my coaches. I love my teammates. 
love the University of Oklahoma. Like, yeah, I got stuff to play for as long as we got games. Mic drop. I love that response. It went viral for a reason. If you haven't seen that clip, go check it out after the show. Just absolutely phenomenal. But I want us to kind of unpack this a little bit more as to why this is even a conversation that Drake Stoops has to have. Because there's a media narrative, like I said, there's a media narrative being pushed right now that if you don't make the playoff, you have nothing to play for. Which doesn't make any sense because the way that it used to be was we didn't even have a four-team playoff. We had two teams that made the BCS. So we actually had less teams playing for a national title at certain points in the year. And we loved BCS Bulls. Like making the Sugar Bowl was phenomenal. Nobody's setting out the Sugar Bowl. Making the Sugar Bowl, winning the conference, those were all things that were worth playing for every single week. And so what changed was we've been told now, play off this, play off that, who's in top four, and that's all that we're being told via some certain media outlets. And again, I'm not throwing shade. This is just kind of the world that we're living in right now. And so with that being said, it used to just be just enjoy college football, take it a week at a time, squeeze the life out of Saturdays, and when we get more games, if it's a bowl game, heck, you got another game to watch your team, support your team. If you're a player, you got another game to enjoy that with your coaches and teammates. But then when this media narrative started to grow of play off this, play off that, play off this, then we kind of started to recalibrate and say, well, yeah, I guess if, if, it, if it is all about the playoff, which is all we hear 24-7, then I guess everything else is just not important. And then that kind of went from the media and it started to seep in at different points to the different interpoints or, or intersection rather between college football media and college football people, meaning players. And what I think Drake Stoops is, is saying here is, is very much so a statement that he has not been contaminated with that train of thought. And to be clear, Oklahoma still has a lot to play for. Oklahoma still is in the Big 12 title hunt. If they go 10-2 and two in Brent Venable's second season after going 6-7 and seven last year, that is absolutely enormous. Think about if you're Drake Stoops being a part of the 6-7 and seven year and then leaving, helping boost your team to 10-2, and two, leaving it better, not than when you found it, but better than when you were there with Brent Venables in his second year. Like, that means something to these guys. And so the issue that I have with this, outside of the whole playoff is the only thing that matters conversation, the thing that I have an issue with is similar to what we talked about with the Caleb Williams shouldn't play anymore during the season because the Heisman Trophy is not going to be his. And they're not making the college football playoff. We somehow arrive at this thought that the college football media has the same priorities that these players and coaches do. They very clearly do not. Those things do not align. We, we can't assume that Drake Stoops' only priority is to win the college football playoff, and that's the end-all be-all. And if you don't have that, well, then it's not worth even playing the rest of the season. Drake Stoops is saying, no, of, of course those were preseason goals. You would have to imagine for that team. But he's saying, no, actually, I just I love this place. I love these people. I love my coaches. I love being able to play football. That's what it's about to me. And I think that's what it used to be about for a lot of us previously, but Drake Stoops is saying that's how it still is here. And so hat tip to all of us here that are still college football fans in that vein. I think the majority is a lot more than the minority. But I also would, would say like the thought that you can somehow just mail it in in college football is just so far off base. Like the assumption there's nothing left to play for implies that, okay, well, then you should just kind of mail in the rest of the season. No disrespect to any other sport. 
But this is not like baseball or like basketball or like any other sport that isn't contact where you can walk out there and not give your best effort. And, you know, you just kind of say, oh, well, it is what it is. Walk off the floor, no problem. If you mail it in playing football, playing college football, where you have grown men running around like that, you get your teeth kicked in. People get hurt. And not just you. It's not a thing where, okay, well, I didn't bring my A game. I kind of mailed it in, so that's bad on me. No, if you don't do your job, there is 10 other individuals on that side of the football offense or defense that are having to suffer because of it. If I mail it in, my dude gets his teeth knocked in. If I mail it in because I'm not holding my block as the left tackle, I get our quarterback killed. Like, it's not a thing where you can mail it in, not just for yourself, but for your teammates. And the consequences are much more intense, I think, than they are if you're playing basketball and, hey, I mailed it in. I had some turnovers. We lost by 20 and got embarrassed. Yeah, that hurts too. But that's not how it is in college football. Drake Stoops is nowhere near mailing it in. I don't think a Brett Venables team is anywhere near mailing it in. They got a ton to play for still. And I loved, I love this went viral because it gives me a ton of faith in where we are as, as a college football fan base. I love where, where we are as a college football public. This went viral. This went viral. It gives me faith in where we are. And uh, I'm excited to see how Oklahoma finishes because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that this is a team that still is engaged, that is still very much so looking to finish some business and accomplish some things. And to be, to be very real, they still have a lot of things in front of them. So Drake Stoops saying, we got nothing to play for, really? And then just dropping bars. I love that. Program guy through and through. Never had a question, never had a doubt. And uh, was just glad to see that get knocked out of the park the way that it did. So credit Drake, Stoop, credit Drake Stoops. And no disrespect to that reporter either that asked that question. Um, I think he was just doing his job, and I think he was just trying to relay a certain sentiment that was being felt by some corners of the college football world. So no, no disrespect to him either. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hey, appreciate everybody dialed in. If you could like the video, subscribe to the channel, we would appreciate that tremendously. We got a lot to get into here. Still going to talk about where things are at with Michigan, the pulse of the program there. Going to give you our final thoughts on week 11. Before we do that, though, we got to take a trip out to the best coast. USC at Oregon, 10.30 Eastern on Fox. Classic little caffeine special. Whatever you do, whether it's coffee, whether it's Red Bull, whether it's Rain Energy. I don't want to name too many different brands here because I don't think we have those sponsors. But even so, Regardless of what you do to get your caffeine, make sure you got it stocked for this one. This is going to be a real good game. Oregon favored by 15. For Oregon, the college football playoff committee has been very, very clear. You control your own destiny. And I think for Oregon, not only is that a big motivator, but I think for Oregon too, I don't know if they would ever tell you this. I don't know if anybody in that locker room would ever tell you this, but I think this is a tremendous opportunity for them to be differentiated from USC because from a macro level, there are still some people that believe Oregon is flashy and living on Phil Knight's money and just kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a, of a, you know, all glitz and glamour operation. And they take that brand and they group them right in there with what people believe USC is. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm just telling you, I think that's the perception of both of these operations. So for Oregon, I think they would love to walk out there and make a statement and say, if you think that we're anywhere in the same category, in terms of how we do business, uh, we're not. We're not. I saw a tweet the other day where Dan Lanning was allegedly on the loudspeaker saying, they're doing seven on seven in LA. They're doing walkthroughs in LA. And then he says, we're doing a full contact drill here in Oregon. 
They take pride in being tough, and I think they want to define themselves as a tough team in this kind of game against USC. Now, for USC, a lot of people selling stock on the Trojans. Not unreasonable. They're not making the college football playoff, which, again, we're told is the only thing that matters. Sidebar, we, we think there's a lot more that matters than just the college football playoff. Uh, they still have the Pac-12 title in their midst. That's still a very achievable thing for USC. And I'll tell you this, if you hold a tiebreaker over Oregon, something tells me when it comes down to whoever gets into that Pac-12 title game, that would be a very, very huge advantage to have. A win in Eugene for this team, after having dropped the game against Washington and Alex Grinch being fired, like this would be a total swing of the pendulum in morale. This would be huge for USC to kind of restabilize where they're at morale-wise, restabilize the psyche, and press on to finish the year. So with a line like this, with USC being a two-touchdown dog on the road, we usually do this when we, when we pick games like this. We got to give you our non-negotiables for USC to win this game. And for me, it's really pretty simple. Typically, we would say they have to have extra possessions and they have to be able to match pace offensively. And I think those things are all like encouraged and you would like to have those. But for USC, my big non-negotiable is I need a USC team to show up. I need them to show up because I think they have the personnel offensively and defensively to hang with Oregon in some really key areas. But if they're not an engaged USC team, like if Washington just kind of took the life out of them and they say, man, that was just the last straw. We're done. Hey, white flag. We are going to mail it in. Then it's going to be a really ugly game in Eugene and Oregon will cover. But if they're able to kind of just say, you know what? We still have a lot to play for. Pac-12 title still attainable. Still a lot of good players on this team. We're not going out without a fight. Then I think they're going to give Oregon exactly that. And I think it'll be a real good game. So question for me when it comes to how this game could shake out. No secret. Alex Grinch, no longer the D.C. at USC. Brian Odom and Sean Nua are the interim co-DCs for this game. And I just can't help but wonder, did the pressure bubble burst at USC on the defensive side of the ball? Because it felt like really even since that first game against San Jose State, there was this you know, looming rain cloud and this question of like, well, what's up with the defense? What's up with Alex Grinch? Are they going to waste Caleb Williams? Are they going to make the college football playoff? And you wonder if just losing that game last week, I'm sure it hurt. Nobody ever plans or hopes or, or thinks losing a game is ever a good thing. But you wonder if maybe that loss just kind of burst the pressure bubble. Alex Grinch no longer there, burst the pressure bubble for all, for all parties involved. Not that this defense didn't want to play for Alex Grinch, but now you kind of hit the reset button, have a fresh start, and the pressure of the college football playoff is no longer on the shoulders of this defense. Nobody's waiting every single Sunday morning to write their column about how USC's defense is so bad, and that's why they're not going to have Caleb Williams in the college football playoff. Just curious if that's maybe the USC defense we see. Not saying they're just night and day different, but if we see improvement and we see just a incremental improvement or, or just a small gain from them and they get a few stops that offense we know what they can do we know what it is when you got Caleb Williams playing quarterback for you like if they can just improve a little bit I think you kind of sit back in your chair watching that game as a USC fan you say all right here we go boys gonna be a late one gonna be a good game gotta stay up for all four quarters of it now if it's not if it's the same USC defense we've seen from the last couple of weeks that's allowing 35 points a game well Bo Nix will pick it apart like a bad dinner. Too multiple, too dynamic. I think they're too experienced on that side of the ball for Oregon to play with their food. 
So if USC shows up with that same defense from last week, expect them to run for over 200 yards, expect Bo Nix to put up big numbers and have his little Heisman moment if you're Oregon against USC. I say little. I don't think it'd be that little. I think it'd actually be a pretty big statement. We'll talk more about that later in this live show. Other question now, the Oregon front seven against Caleb Williams. And it's kind of sounds like a simplistic matchup, but what it comes down to for me is what we see on paper versus what could happen in reality. Because on paper now, like Oregon should dominate USC up front. USC has been pretty lackluster offensively protecting Caleb Williams. Oregon has a 9% sack rate, top 20 in the country. So if they get after Caleb Williams and they make USC one-dimensional, they're going to roll. And that spread will be covered and Oregon will just be dominant up front. That's what it looks like on paper. In reality, that could very well happen. The question I have now is there's no quantifying what Caleb Williams can mean for you as an offense. And what I mean by that is like Caleb Williams is a generational talent. We will never see another player like him again in college football. Not that we won't still see great quarterbacks that are dual threats and can do really great things when they ad-lib. I'm just saying there is one Caleb Williams, and he's playing college football right now. So one, let's enjoy him. Two, there's no quantifying what he could mean to a game. And we said the same thing about Anthony Richardson a year ago in week one where they played Utah. The thought was, Utah's the better team. Utah's better up front. But Anthony Richardson, if he's on, if he puts the cape on that day, that might just be the difference. And I think that's the same strategy. That's the same potential you have here for USC. Yeah, USC's probably outmanned up front. Yeah, a lot of the matchups probably favor Oregon. But if Caleb Williams throws that cape on and just decides like, you know what? It's my day. When you play a lot of hero ball, at some point in time, you end up being the hero. Like we've seen Caleb Williams scramble left and throw back across his body and throw a pick and it be just, you know, the sky falling in Los Angeles. But to the same token, like you only do those things on a semi-routine basis if you're Caleb Williams, if they work a semi-routine amount of the time. And so for Caleb Williams, again, if he's able to be the hero, that could just be it. That could just be the differentiating factor for USC. Now, again, if he doesn't, if Oregon gets after him and those numbers hold true, going to be a very long day and Oregon will roll and they'll cover that 15. So here's the mic drop here for me. Here's the toughest part about this game when we come to picking it. USC is allowing 186 yards on the ground. Oregon is top three in the country in yards per carry, somewhere north of five, five and a half yards a game, or five and a half yards a carry, rather. My issue is you don't just stop the run. You don't just fix your run-stopping defense overnight. Even if you switch DCs, even if there's a whole new thought process defensively, when you're in November, even with what, whatever staff changes you make, like I think you are who you are as a defense. And stopping the run like takes a little bit of juice from you. Takes a little bit of that edge. And I don't think you just develop that in week 11 of the college football season. And so with how physical Oregon is up front, I think that both offensively and defensively, they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to make USC one-dimensional. I think they'll take away USC's ability to run the football, and they'll put it all on Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, I think, again, can make this game very interesting, but the experience of Oregon, especially with Bo Nix playing quarterback, the, the level they're operating at right now offensively, and the internal focus they have, there's no letdown from this Oregon team. I think Oregon rolls here. 
I think Bo Nix has a Heisman moment, and I think they get it done, scoring a lot of points. Final score, 45-27. to 27. So for UA, for Oregon now, I think we just continue to get verification that this is who they are. Week in and week out, they're going to play at roughly the same level. They're going to give you what they've told you they're going to give you in terms of playing physical up front. Bo Nix is going to be calm, cool, and collected and put up big numbers, and that's just kind of how this whole thing shakes out. So, again, we like Oregon to win. I don't know if I like the minus 15 just with Caleb Williams. That always feels iffy to me. But get the caffeine ready. Get ready to enjoy this one. I think it'll be a good game. Should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. That's a, that's a pretty stacked slate, man. We, I mean, we are from noon to 1030 stocked. Packed to the gills, if you will, when it comes to this college football Saturday. So that'll be a whole lot of fun. Hey, in just a minute here, we're going to go to the live chat. We got the pulse of the program here in just a second. <clears throat> and we'll give you our final thoughts in a minute as well. But what we do on this show here, every single live show, at the end of every live show, if you're tuned in live on YouTube, we have a back and forth and hear from y'all in the live chat. So get those in right now. Nick Breakkeeper, the Q, holding it down. And uh, we'll get to those here in just a quick minute. All right, moving right along here. The Pulse the Program series makes its way to Ann Arbor, Michigan. We did a lot of this in the preseason, kind of getting the gauge for what's going on, as best we can tell, internally at different spots across the country from a fan base and from a building perspective within those locker rooms and with that coaching staff. And again, we're trying to just kind of take a gauge. We're obviously not within those walls, so we don't know for sure, but this is the way that it feels to us when it comes to the way things are. So Michigan, it felt like it was just the exact right time to take a pulse of where things are in Ann Arbor. A lot being said, but where are they when it comes to the program for Michigan? Make sure you're subscribed. College football, only college football, every single day of the year right here on the On3 YouTube channel on this show, The Hard Count. Want y'all a part of this now. So make sure you're dialed in. Make sure you're dialed in. We got a few weeks left of the college football regular season. Then we're jumping headfirst into award season. We're jumping headfirst into the playoffs and all that. So I promise you, we got you covered for the rest of the season. We also got you covered outside of the season. Every single day of the year, we're talking ball and only ball. So appreciate y'all in advance for being dialed in. A lot of talk right now around Michigan. A lot of talk. A lot being said around Connor Stallions, a lot being said around what Jim Harbaugh is going to be. Should they suspend him? Should they be barred from the Big Ten title game? And this is not a segment where we're going to unpack those specifically. We've done that many a time. I promise you we'll do it going forward on the show as we get more information. But when it comes to the pulse of the program at Michigan, the pulse to me is lock the gates. Lock the gates. Because when you actually start playing football, there's no more talking. Like Michigan says, okay, you, you can say whatever you want during the week, have whatever you want to talk about on your show, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, come Saturday, you have to line it up, and we're going to play football. And you're not going anywhere. We're going to lock the gate, and for four quarters, we're going to see who's better. There's not going to be any more talking. And I, I think the other part of this, too, is whenever you lock those gates for Michigan, it's not just about turning down the volume. It's not just about, okay, well, now finally we get to not worry about the Connor Stallion sign-stealing saga and all that. Like, at that point now, it's, no, 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 you're in our world. We like our guys versus your guys. This is an extremely confident team for good reason. I think they're going to have double-digit draft picks when it comes to draft day up here. Uh, they have tons of production back from last year, so it's not like they're just breaking in a bunch of new guys. There's reason for confidence. There's a ton of reason for confidence. 
And they know that whenever they lock those gates, that's their playing field. They feel like every single time they take the field, it favors them. And so it's, a, it's more of a, a matter of whenever you do lock those gates, like I said, it favors them, but it's not about turning the volume down. It's about making a point. Like look at Michigan, what they've done to this point in the year. They're scoring 41 points a game, top five in the country. They're allowing 6.7 points a game, number one in the country. They're allowing less than 100 yards rushing. When it's time to play ball, we're here. It's how they feel, I believe, internally. I think they feel that same way as a fan base. Because Monday through Friday, a lot of talk. When it comes to Saturday, though, you got to see us. And when you see us, we like our chances. And so now going forward, I think that for Michigan, they, they kind of feed on all this talk that's been going around their team. Because I think that they relish having that chip on their shoulder. Like last year, it was, well, they can't do it twice. They can't win the Big Ten for the second year in a row. That was nice. They had their year. But like, come on, Cade McNamara, really? Oh, they're going to try and do the whole two-quarterback thing and try and figure that out? Who's going to be the guy? You don't have your guy day one. You're going to do a little trial test with them? Okay, fine. That's great. Do what you want to do. A lot of external doubt. We took part of it on this show. I, I mean, hey, we, we picked Ohio State to win that game a season ago. We were dead wrong and told you all so that Sunday after. We saw it in person. They relish people doubting them. They relish that outside noise. They use that as fuel. Well, coming into this season, they didn't have that same question mark around their team. They had a lot of the guys back, like they didn't have the season before. Before it was, how are you going to replace Aiden Hutchinson? That was the question a year ago. Now it's, hey, they got most everybody back. They should win a national title. They should compete for a Big Ten title. So some competitors will go and look for that edge. They'll go and look for that external noise. And they got handed it to a degree with Jim Harbaugh being suspended for the first three games. It was a self-imposed suspension. We all are you know, on the same page there. But like they just got handed all the ammunition they need with all this all, all this all this talk around Connor Stallions all this conversation around what Michigan did to get to where they're at right now like at this point in time they're saying okay that's what you think of us that's why you think we're as good as we are all right that's fine they feed off this like some competitors are just like this. Michael Jordan was one of those guys. I'm not comparing Michigan to Michael Jordan. I'm just saying I think there's a similar wiring there when it comes to how they operate. Jordan's walking through the restaurant and hearing people say, hey, thanks, Michael. Or, hey, good luck, Michael Jordan. You know, excited to play you tomorrow. And he's like, it was personal. For me, it was personal. And like, that's, I think, how Michigan feels right now. It's personal. It's very personal. And it's not just a made up thing. If they didn't have a big enough chip on their shoulder before this whole Connor Stallion stuff, it is a boulder right now. So. I think they have all they need. I think they have all they need from a roster perspective. That's why they say lock the gates. I think they have all they need from an edge perspective, from all the external noise. The key now is channeling that into success on the football field. So when they play Penn State on Saturday, that's going to be our first real filter to check where they're at internally. Because we know the roster's great. It's going to be a matter of can you flip it on and be ready to roll when you have a somewhat com comparable roster on the other side of the field in Penn State. So I can't wait to watch it. But for Michigan, again, the pulse, the program is lock the gates. They're ready to play ball. They're done talking. And when you do lock the gates, they like their guys more than your guys. And all the external noise, sometimes it would break a team apart, not for Michigan. It fuels them and they relish being the villain. So I can't wait to watch what Michigan does this upcoming Saturday, man. That That is going to be... 
It's going to be a, a tell the truth kind of Saturday. Like we have tell the truth Sunday here every single Sunday morning where we talk about everything that happened the day before in the college football landscape. But like it's tell the truth Saturday there for Michigan. We're going to find out exactly what they are in that game. All right. The time has now come. Our final thoughts for week 11 of the college football season. We do this on every single Thursday. These are not necessarily predictions for the games themselves. They are predictions within the game themselves. And so the first one being the first final thought we have rather is Georgia's differentiating factor when they play Ole Miss. Because a lot said about Carson Beck and there should be a lot said about Carson Beck. I think he should be much more in the Heisman conversation than he is right now. He has been dealing. The offense, they found playmakers to step up in different ways. But the key thing for Georgia against Ole Miss, if they want to win that football game, is how they match up with Trey Harris. Now, Trey Harris is a wide receiver for Ole Miss. He had over 200 yards receiving last week against Texas A&M. And to beat Georgia, we said this during our preview, we're going to say it again right now. If you want to beat Georgia, you need to have the ace of spades. And essentially what we mean by that is whenever you play the game spades, there is one card that is unbeatable when you lay it down, and that is the ace of spades. And so for Georgia, I think they have every other card. I truly do. But we've seen, if you want to be the Kirby Smart coached football team, you got to have something on the perimeter that you can go to that no matter what Georgia's in defensively, no matter what they're doing offensively against you, that is your answer. You're going to your big-time wide receiver, you're winning that matchup, and that's how you're winning the game. Marvin Harrison Jr. a season ago was close to being that for Ohio State. Jamison Williams was that for Alabama against Georgia a couple years ago in the SEC title game. Trey Harris has to be that for Ole Miss. So how does Georgia defend that? I think it falls on guys like Kamari Lasseter, Julian Humphrey. If they're able to take away Trey Harris or at least manage it to where he's not the end-all be-all game breaker for Ole Miss, if you have to play Georgia without the ace of spades, I think you lose. And so that really is the test for me. It really does come down to can the cornerbacks in that Georgia secondary, who we talked about a lot during fall camp. There was a position battle across the board there to be that next corner. How do they handle that? Because Trey Harris is going to bring it. This is a money game for him. I promise you he wants to put on a good show for NFL scouts and try and make a case for himself. This is going to be a really good test. I can't wait. Cannot wait to watch that one. So that's the differentiating factor when it comes to Georgia and Ole Miss. Now, if you were tuned into our prize pick segment during this live show, we alluded to this a little bit as well, but Colston Loveland from Michigan is about to have his kind of game against Penn State. Because Penn State, I promise you, they watched last year's tape where Michigan ran for 400 yards. Priority number one for the Nittany Lions is going to be stopping the run. They have some pride in themselves. This is a better outfit than what they were a season ago. Right now, they're allowing less than two yards a carry. That's real good. It's going to be the toughest test against Michigan for sure, but that is real good. They're going to make it a priority to stop the run. Penn State, they've also made it very clear. By nature of how they played Ohio State, they will play man coverage with anybody. They like who they have in their secondary. They'll play man and let their big boys eat up front. And I think also you'll have to play man with how much you need to commit to stopping the run against Michigan. To prove a point about how clearly Penn State wants to play man coverage, they were content just leaving Kalen King out there with Marvin Harrison Jr., that was it. They said, we like our guys. Hope you like your guy. Let's roll. Now, obviously, Penn State ended up losing that war, but I don't expect them to change in this game against Michigan where they don't have a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. So going back to Colston Loveland, whenever Michigan gets man with Colston Loveland on the field, that's advantage Michigan. Because Colston Loveland is six foot five, 245 pounds. He can run, 
has a tremendous catch radius. They can move him around, put him in the slot, put him in line. At the end of the day, he's a mismatch nightmare. And so if you want to play man coverage against him, they'll back shoulder you to death. If you want to put a linebacker on him, he'll run past him. I expect him to have a very big game by nature of how Penn State wants to play them defensively, especially in the red zone. Keep an eye on 18. He's going to have a big game. This is a Colston Loveland kind of game if you're Michigan. The next final thought here is kind of intriguing when it comes to Alabama. Because Jalen Milrow, I think he catapulted himself to what position? I don't know, but he's somewhere in that Heisman race right now. Tremendous stage, ran for four touchdowns against LSU. He was our program guy of the week for us right here on this show. Jalen Milrow in Alabama now, they go to Kentucky. Let me say this, this is a treacherous spot. Treacherous spot. Noon kick in Lexington, Kentucky. They're 3-0 and on noon kicks to this point in the year throttled Florida early in the year. Bama has only played one noon kick this season. Three-point win over Arkansas. And the reason why I stress the importance of it being a noon kick, whenever you play a game at noon as a college football player, your wake-up is somewhere around 7 a.m. And so you're not necessarily in your traditional routine you would have if you're playing a 3.30 kick or a 7.30 kick like Everything kind of speeds up. So people say sleepy noon kick for a reason. Like you're kind of a little bit groggy trying to get the juices flowing a little bit. It's a very difficult test to be at your best for a noon kick. Bars, no pun intended, or no no rhyme intended there, but we'll take it. Uh, Huge letdown spot for Alabama with it being a noon kick, with it being after LSU, with it being on the road at a place like Lexington. So we made it very clear last week, and Alabama made it very clear last week. Jalen Milrow is this team's calling card. He is. Like, he is now the identity. We talked about it during the offseason that it was going to have to be the offensive line being the engine for this offense. I think now we've pivoted completely and said, no, it's got to be Jalen Milrow. And not so much that he has to just be diamond up every single defense, but what he does with his legs is the differentiating factor for this offense, and it's why they were able to win that game against LSU. I don't care how bad LSU's defense is. That was why they won the football game was Jalen Milrow being definitive and getting downhill for that offense and allowing them to score in the 40s. So my prediction for this game now is you're going to ask Jalen Milrow to carry more of the weight. I don't think Jalen Milrow will have a sleepy start, but I wouldn't be surprised if the defense takes a second to get going or some of the players around Jalen Milrow on that offense take a second to get going. But here's the thing, with great competitors, with great playmakers and great leaders, you ask them to take on more of the weight and they're able to do it. So I think Alabama will still win that football game But I think Jalen Milrow may need to carry more of that weight in the first half of that football game. It might be a thing where Alabama goes into the break and they're up 17-10 because they have two rushing touchdowns by Jalen Milrow and he's done what he needs to do throwing the football to get him in range for a field goal. I think that could be the scenario you find yourself in. But again, I think Jalen Milrow, by nature of how he played last week and the way this offense is now operating through him, not just around him, but through him, I think that's what he ends up getting done. So... Could be, a, could be a nice little statement for Jalen Milrow and for Alabama in a tricky spot against Kentucky. Now, for Bo Nix, we talked about the game already on this show. This is a huge, I'll say that again. This is a huge Heisman attention-getting moment for Bo Nix. Not just because of the way that Oregon's playing right now and not just because they're scoring a lot of points and because he played well against Utah and he's kind of in that conversation now. Oregon has a unique opportunity now where they're playing the Heisman Trophy winner from last year. 
And so if Bo Nix goes out there and does what I expect him to do against that USC defense where he throws for, a t- you know, three touchdowns and he runs for another one and just has a tremendous day at the office like he's proven to do all season long, well, you look across the sideline and say, well, that's the quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy last year in Caleb Williams. The measuring stick, I think, in this game is very, very clear, very, very obvious. It'd be hard to ignore if you're a Heisman voter, I would have to believe. Also, it's November. If this game is played... In September, I don't know if it matters quite as much for his Heisman candidacy, but at this point in time, this is where you make a statement. This is where you prove to the rest of the country, like, no, 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 look look at us. Look at me over here. I know it's a 10-30 kick. I'm telling you the Caleb Williams factor in this game. If you look at that duel and you say Bo Nix beat Caleb Williams in the quarterback department, I think that is a lot for his Heisman Trophy candidacy. So I think Oregon wins that game, like I already told you, but I think he takes advantage of that. And I think we see Bo Nix kind of shoot up these... uh, Heisman Trophy odds in the next couple of weeks. And this game is kind of the launching pad for that. So those are our final thoughts for week 11 of the college football season. Get in the comment section. Let me know yours. What do you think is bound to happen in week 11? Excited to hear from y'all. All right, get in the live chat right now. I want to hear from y'all via the live chat. Your questions, your comments, concerns. Also, if you could like the video, keep us rolling here towards 100 likes. We'd appreciate it greatly. The little thumbs up button under the video. We'll keep on rolling. All right, quick ad read now. About 60 seconds or so. Going to tell you all about game time, and then we'll get to your questions in just a minute. Literally, just a minute. The Hard Count is brought to you by our friends at game time. Here's the deal now. It's college football season. It's, it's getting towards like the last couple of games of college football season. A lot of big-time matchups. A lot of matchups with pretty high stakes. And you can watch on TV. That's great. Nothing, nothing against that. But there's something to be said for actually being at the game. Like me personally, my best memories of watching college football, they're not from watching on the couch. They're from being at the game, from smelling the tailgate, from smelling the grass, from seeing other crazy fans around me when something good happened for that team. That's why we love college football. That's really what captures the fanhood, if you will, is being there live and living color. And game time is going to help us do that. All right, so with game time... You can browse through the event, or browse through the app rather, and find all the upcoming events from college football games to comedy concerts to, you know, other entertainment shows. Game Time does a phenomenal job of allowing you to purchase tickets at the very last minute, so you can kind of go back and forth. Heck, you could, you could you could go Friday night and still not know if you're going to the game or not, and then Saturday morning you say, I, you know what, I, I got to go, I got to go. There's only so many left. Buy tickets with two seconds more or less via the game time app and you are in business all right so also this is important they're obsessed with saving you money which we appreciate if you find a ticket in the same row and section for less than what you paid for game time will credit you 110 percent of the difference so this is crucial now if you want to support the show this is a great way to do it take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code HARDCOUNT for $20 off your first purchase. You find a ticket, hey, 50 bucks, use code HARDCOUNT, down to 30 bucks because you used the code for $20 off. So that is spelled H-A-R-D-C-O-U-N-T. That's code HARDCOUNT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We appreciate them being a part of what we got going here, and we appreciate y'all supporting us via what they got going and being a part of what we got going. So, high tide raising all boats. You love to see it. Love to see it. All right, 
Let's get to it now. The man, the myth, the legend, Nick Brake, joining the show. How we doing, big dog? JD, um, here, I'm going to move my mic up a little bit. Uh, there's some friendly fire between a couple of program guys in the uh, okay. chat today. Rocky Top Tom and um, A.B. Bailey are going at it. Today, okay. So. Hey, brothers Never fight. makes me feel good. Yeah, you're right. Brothers can fight. That's true. That's true. Good point. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's get to some questions. I love I think. it. Um, well, White Boy Magic says, hey, JD, if we can get an undefeated ACC and Big Ten champion, who would the other teams be in this scenario? A, one lost Pac-12 champ. B, one lost Big 12 champ, which would be Texas. C, a one lost uh, champ Alabama yep. or D loser of Ole Miss or of Michigan Ohio State so I think D would not be the case I think D gets left out if you're a one loss conference champ I think you get priority over a one loss non-conference champ so that's that's the first D is eliminated uh, we talked about this a little bit on the playoff scenarios yesterday this is a tricky one man and I think I'm actually in the minority here in my opinion I think Oregon's in like, I think Oregon, by nature of what the committee has said, they're going to be in the dance. They're number six right now. I mean, they still have some stages left. If they avenge their one loss, I don't see how you leave them out. And so that then brings us to Texas or Bama. Um, the, the key thing here for me is Georgia. And if Georgia ends up losing somewhere along the lines, let's say they lose to Ole Miss this week, but Tennessee loses to Missouri, so they clinch the East, and they find themselves in the SEC title game, and they're somewhere outside the top five, and the Alabama beats them, I think Texas gets in. Now, here's the thing that's going to be so tough to ignore, Nick, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, if Alabama beats a number two or a number one undefeated Georgia in the SEC title game, I don't know how you walk into that room as a committee member and say, you know what, good for Alabama. They have one loss on the year in week two, but, like, it was to Texas. That was head-to-head. Let's leave them out. Like, I think there has to be something said about – what you've done for me lately. And I understand the resumes is crucial and week two is obviously a part of this. But for me, like I had Alabama ahead of Texas in my top 10 this week because of how they've trended at this point in the year. Like based on the eye test, Texas messed around with Houston, almost lost to Kansas State. And if Quinn Ewers is in the lineup, we're probably not even having that conversation. So I don't want to just be irresponsible in our evaluation of them. But I just, I, I think with the way that Alabama's playing right now, if they do be undefeated Georgia, that's a tough, tough resume boost to leave out. Tough for me, Nick. Okay. So I think it's Alabama, to, to put it simply. Okay. Uh, this next question, I have to tread lightly and make sure I ask it verbatim so Jay Folio 11 does not get mad at me. It says, who is the best college football team of all time, team and year? Man. Team and year. So I'll, be, I'll just be transparent here. There are some teams that you would ask for that like just predate me. Like, to be real, the U in the 80s, they predate me. And I know they are unbelievable, and I know they are just next level. Like, I know those Nebraska teams, next level. I can only speak to what I've seen and what I, what I think deserves a lot of credit and I think probably deserves to be in this top three conversation, if not number one. The best team I've ever seen is LSU, 2019. Like, that team with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, the guys they had on the defensive side of the ball, like, they were just so stupid, unstoppable. I would put them up against anybody. So I think LSU is the best team of all time, Nick, in 2019. So again, I understand there's some teams that, that came before me that I didn't get a chance to watch as closely as some of uh, the other people in this chat. So we respect that 100%. But for me, it's LSU 2019. And uh, I think they would give anybody a game. 515 Dave says 95 Nebraska. Um, Jesse Adams says 2019 LSU 2003 Miami. 
Um, Jay Floyd 11 says 2019 uh, LSU beats the 85 Bears all day. Um, so there we go. a couple answers from the chat there as well. Um, first, uh, Matthew asks a lot of questions. I want to make sure I get your last name right. Is it Matthew Seren or Sereno or Coreno? Comment that, please, Matthew. I don't want to get it wrong every every time you comment. Uh, but Matthew asked, would you be in favor of playoffs decided by the BCS computer instead of a committee? It feels like the committee uses the eye test very conveniently for blue blood programs. You know what's crazy is there are certain websites on Twitter that I believe have captured the BCS formula and they still release the BCS rankings. And every single year since we've had the playoff, the BCS rankings and the playoff rankings match up within the top four. I don't know how far it stretches where they match up, but they've matched up to have the same exact playoff format. So even if you took the committee out of it, the BCS to this point have agreed with the committee, which is which is wild, which is wild in itself. So uh, so far, I actually like the committee because I think there's like that human element that you just have to be able to account for some things with common sense. Like I think the eye test really does matter quite a bit to be, uh, to be real. Um, yeah, I think as a whole, like I just, I don't love putting our entire fate in computers. What do you think here, Nick? Like I, I like the human element, but what do you think? I don't know. I don't know, JD. I don't like the human element at all. Okay. I hate it. Okay. Um, but that's just me. Okay. I think it should be on record or points total. I don't know. That's fair. I'm not a fan. Um, but that that's a whole that's a whole rabbit hole I could get down and we could have that conversation off the air sometime. I love it. Uh, Rocky Top Tom took a couple punches. He he got got up and asked a good question. Uh, JD, what's more likely uh, that Utah comes out of Washington with a W or that Mississippi shocks the world in Athens? Great question. That is a great question. Now Ole Miss, to be real, I think they're going to give Georgia some pressure at different points in this game. I don't see a world where Ole Miss just gets shut out and Lane Kiffin just, you know, totally gets his whole setup kicked in. I think Ole Miss could challenge Georgia. I say this every single week, it feels like, because we're watching Washington really closely. Washington showed a, a tremendous output last week against USC offensively. The two weeks prior left a lot to be desired. I think Utah is just scrappy, man. I think it's scrappy. You like that game more if you're a Utah fan, if it's in Salt Lake. But even so, with the way that Utah plays with controlling the game, if they're able to get something going on the ground, and Washington's been pretty bad on the ground, to be real, defending the run at least. Uh, I actually, I, I might like, I like Utah. I don't know if I like them straight up, but that's a game to watch for sure. So the likelihood for me is 1 million percent pointing towards Utah, Washington, and Utah being able to pull the upset off there. That's the one that I'm watching, Nick. Um, ben Gaylor says, ask my question, Nick Brick. There I we hate go. being called Nick Brick. It's Nick Brake. <laughs> um, JD, uh, Ben says, if Tennessee wins out and wins the East and the SEC championship, are they in? Next year. Next year, yeah. Next year they would be in for sure. Now the problem is you need some help from Georgia. Um, Georgia's, I believe, they, they clinch with a win if they beat Ole Miss this upcoming Saturday. So I probably am a little bit slower to get on that train. That's nothing to say of Josh Heupel or Tennessee. I think they're going to be really good for a long time, as long as he's the head coach there. Uh, once the Nico era begins officially, when that begins officially, I think they're going to be in really good shape. So I don't think this is the year, but stick around. In a 12-team format, Tennessee's right there fighting for their playoff life. And who's to say Tennessee wouldn't find their way in with uh, with an at-large bid, Nick? Who's to say at some point, if, if we're like, 
pivoting to the 12-team playoff this year, if we were to do that, I think Tennessee's probably on the outside looking in and, and maybe on the bubble for uh, finding their way into that 12-team. You know? Yeah, absolutely. J.D., a couple of uh, non-football-related questions. Evan says, what should I get for lunch? I'd probably go with a meatball sub. Mm. Um, got a question from OG Gary. Should I start Jerome Ford or George Pickens? Please help me for fantasy. George Pickens had a bad week last week. J.D., always start someone who did bad the next week the week before always mm. you're uh, you're a big uh by the dip guy yeah i am okay uh caleb mccollum says jd uh what do you think of brock bowers being available for old miss also please comment on how much of an alien that guy is as you always do Good yeah enough. he's a psycho that's not gonna happen right he's a I psycho seen anything about that you know i saw so it's just so tough because i mean you know how this is nick we're just kind of perusing the twitter sphere and trying to like extrapolate as much real information as we can from things that like might be partly true that are on Twitter. Uh, I saw a tweet, <laughs> which is always a great way to start a sentence. I saw a tweet that had Brock Bowers at a like 19 to 20 miles per hour on the catapult, which is very fast, especially if you're coming off a tightrope surgery. Uh, Rusty Mansell tweeted out something who's, uh, I mean, the man covering Georgia. So get a, get a membership at Dogs HQ. They'll keep you all the way in the know for everything Brock Bowers in Georgia. But he put out a, a tweet that said, if Brock Bowers were to return for the game against uh, Ole Miss this weekend, it would be 26 days since his surgery. 26 days. Now, Tua Tagovailoa also had this same surgery when he was at Alabama. And when he got back for the LSU game, it was something like 27 days. So it's not impossible if it's me if I'm Kirby Smart, I'm saying, hey, Brock, you got a lot to play for, brother, even past when you leave Athens. So, like, let's give it another week, maybe two weeks before you get back. If I'm a Georgia fan, I'm not expecting Brock Bowers to play. But if I get out there to the game using the game time app and I get tickets and I see Brock Bowers lining it up for that first series, I'm pleasantly surprised. So, who knows? I'd be surprised, but I think it's probably safer to lean that he wouldn't play and then enjoy it if he does. Okay, J.D., two more questions. This Sounds one's great. from A.B. Bailey. If Louisville beats Florida State, how far do the Seminoles fall? I'm assuming that means in the uh, conference championship, J.D.? Yep. Yeah, that would be in the conference title game. At that point, you're probably assuming that Louisville's a top-10 team. You're probably assuming that Florida State's probably a top-four team, top-five team, if somehow they get leapfrogged by someone else. I mean, I think... I think they'd probably still be a top 10 team. I don't think they just take a tremendous drop. I mean, you lose to, I mean, the eye test probably matters there too. The margin of victory for Louisville would matter, but I think they're probably still a top 10 team. That'd be a long way to drop losing to a good Louisville team. If they drop outside the top 10, that is. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I see White Boy Magic's getting this question in a lot. I already answered one of your, or JD already answered one of your questions, trying to make sure I get to as many different people as I can since there's so many questions. So come back on Tuesday and talk mm. about that one because that one will still be relevant on Tuesday, maybe more so relevant than it is now. It's about Washington being oh, a one-loss Pac-12 champ. Uh, but I do want to end on this, J.D. Um, I, we talk about this a lot. I know this is uh, kind of annoying for you. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? But I did pose this poll at the beginning of the day. Are you in favor of a 12-team playoff? 78% of our commenters and of our chat say, yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, so the question was asked by Fletcher Benedict says, J.D., why don't you like the 12-team playoff? It's totally fair. It's a totally fair question. And honestly, if I am a fan of a specific college football team, 
like let's let's take one of my I guess pseudo alma maters I didn't actually graduate from there I was there for like half a semester let's say I'm a diehard Baylor Bears fan and Baylor's never been to the playoff they have been on the outside looking in a couple times they've been top five before I believe they've been like six at the final rankings before but if I'm Baylor and I continue to get left out of that top four I'm like okay hey we we think we have a team that could compete with some of those top four teams that's how we feel internally so you say okay well now we're gonna kind of expand this playoff and you say okay great when we do get in there then we can show you so I think that's kind of the feeling is like all right now we're gonna get our chance for a lot of these different teams that haven't been in the playoff and so that's fair I I get it I appreciate it I'd probably feel the same way the reason why as a macro level I am not pro expanded playoff is because of what we have right now in the regular season we watch every single weekend with such intensity and we watch it so closely because we know if you lose to your I mean not not even conference rival if you lose an out-of-conference game that significantly impacts your chances for the college football playoff and so there's this thought that like well if we get more teams we'll get more games we'll get a better playing field and we'll actually have like a real playoff like in my mind I think we already have a playoff we have an expanded playoff right now that is the regular season within college football like we'll look at those conference title games I mean Oregon Washington that's a playoff game if they meet in the Pac-12 title game uh Alabama Georgia playoff game when they play in the SEC title game Louisville Florida State probably a playoff game when they meet in the ACC title game if that ends up being the case so I think we have more of an expanded playoff than we really want to give credit for but I I completely understand the desire to see your team have a higher percentage chance to compete for a national title so I personally just love the fall Saturdays I think that's really where the magic of the sport is and uh, don't get it twisted when we get to 12 teams like we'll be on board with it we'll talk about it it'll be great for the show it'll be great for I mean, business as a whole, probably across college football landscape. And, you know, we'll be on board when we're there. But uh, personally, we would, if we had our way, keep it at four. If you twisted our arm, we'd say, okay, let's make it six. I don't know why we have to triple the field. Six feels like it's a fair number. But uh, yeah, that's how we feel about it, Nick. But a fair question. And, that's how uh, you feel. I love it. That's how I feel. Yeah. I love it. That's how I feel. Um, JD, really quick. Jesse Adams is mad. I don't ask this question. That, that question is probably better to be asked to your state legislator and lawmakers, not us. Um, we don't live in Michigan. I didn't even. I don't even really know your. What's state. the question? It says, "How sad slash pathetic is my state for having eleven state legislators slash lawmakers write a letter to the Big Ten commissioner for Michigan football? Like, really, nine out of eleven are Michigan grads?" I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it feels like an episode of Suits. I think I saw Will Collins. Yeah, yeah. That's that Suits. I love it. I, I, I love. I mean, I mean, only college football, right? Only college football. Yeah, I'm always like, that's shocking. And it's a good question, Jesse. I appreciate your question. But I was like, I don't even know how to answer that. Do you? Part of me kind of loves it. If I'm like a Michigan fan, I'm like, cool. Our people in in power are doing something. If I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm like, that's so lame. Why are you having guys go to bat for you in your state legislator? What what, what are we doing here? So I think it's all, I mean, it really is all just your vantage point, as this whole thing is, in my opinion. I don't think it's like, we said it yesterday. I think the right answer is really somewhere in the middle with all of this, with all of this. Yep, absolutely. Good Good stuff. I'll see you Sunday. All right, man. See you Sunday. Appreciate you. Look, hey, nice jersey. Looking good. Yeah, it's actually a polo. It doesn't look oh, like a polo. Okay. This is a this is what a soccer polo looks like. Um, for all of you football folks. This is what yeah. a football polo looks like. Hey. <laughs> never say that again. Thanks so much. I Nick. better not. You have here, a great one, brother. Even though it is the one that uses feet. JD, I'll see you later. Oh man. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Hey, appreciate y'all being dialed in. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you like the video. 
We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Tons of content coming Sunday morning on this very platform. Everything from the day before. No live show from us on the hard count. Live show that night from Andy Staples. Worth being dialed in for. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.